New York City's population is expected to grow by a million by 2030, and that's bound to stretch an already thin power supply even thinner. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Glad you're plugged in this morning. On today's show, a panel discussion on what the city can do to keep up with its increasing power demands while reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Also today, we'll meet some folks who are taking energy matters into their own hands. I recently met a New Jersey homeowner who's going solar to save money on his utility bill and help the environment. My name is uh, George Gladwell. I live in River Edge, New Jersey, Bergen County. Uh, We're having uh, solar panels installed on the roof. It's a lot of money up front, and the state picks up a lot of it, but it's still going to cost us a nice chunk of change, but they say we should be able to recoup that within seven years. In the wintertime, you use more utilities, and in the summer, I guess, too, because you're using the central air, so that should cut down a lot. With using the uh, sunlight, it would save on electricity so that we don't have to burn coal as much or uh, nuclear uh, facilities we don't have to build. So I guess I'm doing my contribution. My name is Barrett Silver, and I'm the sales training manager for the Solar Center. And I was actually the solar consultant that uh, designed and sold this job. This system is just under 5,000 watts DC. And what that means is uh, over the course of an average year, it'll probably make about 6,000 kilowatt hours of electricity. Typically on an overcast day, you'll probably only get about 20% of what you would get on a bright sunny day like today. I think there's a lot of confusion. I think there's a lot of myths out there and misunderstandings. People are sort of still stuck in the idea that this is only for, you know, tree-hugging hippies out there in the woods. They don't understand that it interconnects with the existing electric utility and that you don't have to go off the grid to do it. That's Barrett Silver helping to install a solar roof for George Gladwell in River Edge, New Jersey. As we just learned, conserving energy is a personal choice. The decisions we make day to day can have a big impact. But energy choices are also made at a much higher level. When we think about energy efficiency on a citywide or nationwide scale, just what's being done? We invited several experts into the studio to discuss New York City's energy policy and what we should expect in the years to come. But before we get going with our panel, it might be worth clearing up a few energy-related terms. You'll hear our panelists talk about things like photovoltaic technology, or PV. That simply refers to your standard solar panel system. CNG? Well, that's compressed natural gas, a fuel alternative that can be used in cars and trucks. And the grid is just the energy infrastructure that transports power around the region. Okay, vocab lesson over, so now let's get on with our panel. Joining me in the studio this morning to talk about energy issues are Tria Case. Tria is the executive director of the Center for Sustainable Energy in the Bronx. Tria, glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. Also in studio with us is Anthony Pereira. He is the president and CEO of Alt Power. The New York City-based firm provides expertise in the field of renewable energy systems with a focus on solar energy. Anthony, nice to have you here. <laughs> Thanks. It's a pleasure. And joining us by phone is New York City Councilman James Janeiro. Councilman Janeiro chairs the Environmental Protection Committee. Councilman, thanks for taking the time. Sure thing. Happy to be here. 
Let's begin by talking about New York City's energy crunch. The city is expecting its population to increase by a million by the year 2030. That's going to spread an already thin power supply even thinner. Tria, let's start with you. What are your concerns about the city's energy needs? Well, uh, as you know, the, the city is required to generate 80% of its power needs from from within the city limits. So uh, at some point, we will begin hitting that 80% mark, and we're going to need to generate more power. Uh, one of the things that the center is focusing on is figuring out, A, how to reduce our demand on the grid, but also how we can start generating power from renewable sources. 80% of our energy needs, where is that currently coming from in the city? from uh, p- power generated from fossil fuels at the power plants in, in New York City. Anthony, what are your concerns? Well, th- the biggest concerns really, they're not just, uh, you know, simply that will we have enough power because the implication of that is is both is all economic, you know, environmental and, and social. And, um, you know, in order for New York City to remain competitive on an international basis, we really need to make sure that we have a reliable and safe uh, utility grid and um, power supply. And uh, that's really, you know, my major concern. I love this city, and I want to make sure that it's it's going to remain uh, at the top of uh, cities around the world. Councilman, what is the city doing right now to make sure that that power supply is there? Well, um a bill that I uh, drafted and which just passed by the council, the first uh, stated meeting uh, of the year in uh, January, uh, would call upon the city to lead by example uh, and to have the city uh, have the city make an assessment of all its uh, uh, high power use facilities and make a determination as to which of those facilities uh, might be appropriate for uh, deployment of clean on-site generation. Uh, we think that in uh, doing this we can take some of the stress and strain off the grid by um, having some of the power generated right at the site. Also, the uh, mayor, although I I, I don't speak for him, I I, I do certainly applaud his plan NYC uh, effort in which he is um, seeking to uh, put New York City on a course by 2030 uh, to have what he calls sustainability, uh, which is a concept that uh, you know we've certainly embraced at the council. Tria and Anthony, let me ask you, what do you think are the viable options here in the city when it comes to clean energy? Well, certainly the city doesn't want to put all of its eggs in one basket because then we'd be in the same place we are today. Um, you know, a big part of um, the mix could be solar photovoltaic or solar electric systems. Um, a lot of research shows from multiple uh, uh, sources that New York City is quite possibly the best place in the entire country to use solar energy if you take into account the peak power demands of the city and when that occurs. It is occurring exactly at the peak power output of solar electric systems. Tria, I know your group, the Center for Sustainable Energy in the Bronx, has been very much in support of solar energy. In fact, you recently hit a goal as far as solar energy is concerned in the city. Right. Um, the Center for Sustainable Energy has been working with the, uh, as part of the City University of New York's partnership with the U.S. Uh, Department of Energy's uh, Million Solar Roofs Initiative. And we uh, set a goal for 500 solar roofs by 2010 and, um, and in fact, have reached that goal 
um, in, in part uh, because we simply went out and took a look at what it exists in the city. And we found that there is actually 1.1 megawatts and probably more by now of uh, PV, uh, solar electric, installed in New York City. Councilman, it sounds like some of this is out of your hands, but what is within the city's control? Well, um, one of the things that we were trying to do in the bill that we negotiated with the administration regarding the city making an assessment of its own facilities uh, to see what kind of uh, you know clean on-site generation uh, might work for them, uh, we had uh, every intention of putting in that bill that they ought to uh, look into not only the you know clean uh, you know gas-powered uh, or the, the gas-fired systems, but uh, also look at solar, also look at uh, other um, alternatives, and uh, we couldn't get that into the bill uh, because the administration. You know, had concerns uh, about you know some of the economic uh, you know, viability of uh, solar, and that's something that um, we reluctantly took out of the bill in order to have a uh, you know negotiated bill that we knew we we wouldn't have any problem you know moving through the administration. That kind of speaks of of, of what some of Anthony is talking about with some of kind of the uh, institutional reluctance to solar that we at the council are trying to uh, break down. That's New York City Council member James Gennaro. He's the chair of the Environmental Protection Committee. We'll return to our panel discussion later in the show, where we'll discuss energy alternatives beyond solar power. One alternative to your traditional heating systems that's gaining momentum is geothermal technology, which takes advantage of the Earth's consistent temperature. By running water deep underground, where the soil maintains a steady 50 degrees, geothermal systems can heat a home in the winter or cool it in the summer. We recently visited one such home in Westchester County's Croton-on-Hudson, where the homeowners have also employed solar technology and architectural efficiency to greatly reduce their energy bills. My name is Steve Bluestone, and my wife Kathy Bluestone and I uh, live in a house that we designed and had built for us in Croton-on-Hudson up in Westchester County. Uh, in this room, which is on the lower level of our house, uh, we have all the mechanical equipment, uh, which includes the well tank, uh, hot water heater, uh, backup LP gas um, condensing boiler, and the geothermal system with the storage tank. On this side, we have this simple little box here, which basically provides all the heat and air conditioning for the house with an associated tanks and whatnot. And it's essentially uh, the same thing you would see outside of a suburban house or an air conditioning system. There's a compressor in there that takes the groundwater out of the ground and extracts heat and pumps cooler water into the ground in the winter and vice versa in the summer. What we have outside in the yard is a well that was drilled and engineered and drilled to 650 feet down. So the water comes out of the well, clean potable water that we drink and shower with it, and goes into this system once again to extract heat or to put heat into the system and put it back into the well. Um, pumps back into the same well. So the water that we're using for heating and cooling, we're also drinking because it's sanitary all through copper pipes and whatnot. I would say that this takes care of 95% to 98% of our heating needs. We have a backup uh, condensing boiler here. When the end of the winter comes, or a really, really hard cold snap, 
there'll be a few days in January, maybe in February, on the coldest days where the groundwater temperature just gets too cold, um, automatically the condensing boiler will kick in. The condensing boiler is you know, 98% efficient. In the summer, this is way, way too efficient. So it works harder in the winter than it does in the summer. And in the closet next to this room, I have a small electric closet. These two components here are taking the electricity that's produced up on the roof on the photovoltaics and converting it into AC and putting it into the house. And it also runs back to the meter. So if we are producing too much electricity, but more than the house needs, it literally does spin the meter backwards. The photovoltaic system on the house produces the equivalent of about three or $400 worth of electricity a year, is what I'm at guessing right now. The system really doesn't need any maintenance at all, and I think within five, ten years, it pays for itself. That's Steve Bluestone speaking to us about the energy-saving measures he's taken in his Croton-on-Hudson home. You're listening to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Boldarki. Today's show is all about energy and energy efficiency. Let's profile one more person who's taking advantage of energy alternatives. From the exterior, the Automec Tire and Service Center looks like any other car service shop in the Bronx. But Automec's owner, Carl DiMucci, is one of the first dealers of electric transportation vehicles in the area. He primarily sells personal scooters and motorcycles, but he's beginning to distribute cars into larger vehicles as well. My name is Carl DiMucci, and we're standing at uh, 3010 Boston Road, which is my... Uh, Auto repair business, Automech Tire and Service Center. I'm in the Bronx, New York, and uh, I've been in the auto repair business for over 30 years at this location for the last 27. Last year, I uh, saw an article in one of the trade magazines about uh, a company called Zap Zero Air Pollution, and they're um, uh, they're interested and they're involved in uh, developing and selling alternate-powered vehicles, vehicles that run on ethanol, electric, and gas. And they also have personal uh, transportation vehicles, battery-powered scooters that you could use, uh, you know, just to run around the neighborhood. They have one vehicle called a Zebra, and it's 100% battery. It has a range of approximately 25 miles. It goes about 40 miles an hour, and uh, it's uh, pretty neat. It's totally battery-powered, no gas no gas at all, so it's a good alternative. And they're also uh, going to be uh, selling another vehicle called the Obivo, which is a tribrid. It runs on either gas, ethanol, or electric power. That's more for uh, conventional use. Those have a top speed about 80 miles an hour. They can be used, uh, you know, in any of the three forms, so there are alternatives. What the company's doing with the, with the Zebra is they've been selling them to the municipalities who use them for their local work in their towns. It's, it's a lot of, they use them around the towns. For instance, if you're in New York City and, and you're going to be around the city all day, that's, that's perfect for that because, you know, the top speed is 40 miles an hour, but, of course, in the city, you're not, <laughs> you're not going to go more than 40 miles an hour anyway. I think there are three reasons for getting involved in or purchasing something like this. The first one would be economically, because there certainly is a big savings. You, know, you save quite a bit of money. I mean, you're not using gas anymore, no fuel involved, so there's a big savings with that. Uh, the other reason, I think, would be they're a lot of fun. These things are quiet. You don't hear them. Uh, and uh, they're a lot, of fun, a lot of fun to ride. 
And, of course, the third thing would be uh, if you have a concern for the environment, uh, you know, at least you feel like you're doing something to help, uh, help the environment situation. I feel like I am on the leading edge because uh, there isn't too much of this in, at, in the marketplace at this time, but I think in 10 years or so it'll be a viable replacement, I think. That's Carl DiMucci. If you want more information, you can visit electricmotoringunlimited.org. Now on to the second half of our panel. If you'll recall, we were joined in discussion by Tria Case of the Center for Sustainable Energy, Anthony Pereira of Alt Power Inc., and New York City Council member James Gennaro. I asked them about how diverse our alternative energy options really are. Going solar is one thing, but what about wind power here in New York City? I know a while ago there was talk about putting windmills on the Fresh Kills landfill on Staten Island. Councilman, is that at all a viable alternative? Uh, I don't know whatever became of that initiative. <clears throat> and I, I've uh, got to confess that uh, you know, within the city, I haven't heard a lot of uh, talk about using uh, you know, wind power here. There have been some uh, things that have been proposed nearby, like off the south shore of uh, Nassau County, there was uh, and, and, and some other deployments, uh, and, uh, but I, I haven't heard uh, wind uh, discussed very much here in uh, New York City. Most of the, uh, uh, most of the conversation has uh, focused on uh, solar. I, I know certainly in the, the meetings of the uh, Mayor's Sustainability Advisory Committee, uh, there have been, you know, much more discussions about uh, solar than uh, any other kind of uh, uh, um, alternative or uh, renewable energy source. Emissions from motor vehicles, of course, are a big part of the problem. What do you think, Tria, can be done to get more people out of their cars and into things like hybrid electric vehicles? It seems like a lot of people don't even know about these kinds of vehicles still. Yeah, well, actually, and a, and a big part of it is our fleets. And so um, you, you hit on the, the other uh, aspect of the Center for Sustainable Energy's focus, which is alternative fuel vehicles and trying to train uh, the technicians of, of the future in terms of uh, hybrid vehicles and CNG vehicles and whatnot, and also reaching out to fleet operators and helping them take advantage of incentives that are out there to change over their fleets. Uh, many just simply don't know that there are options. Councilman, is the city leading by example here? Oh, sure, sure. I was, I was, uh, I was hoping you were going to ask me that uh, question. I, 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 I had the opportunity as chairman uh, of the committee in 2005 uh, to uh, sponsor a uh, host of bills that kind of updated, completely revamps all of the city's uh, vehicle fleets. Uh, including the uh, you know, heavy-duty vehicle fleet. Uh, and one good thing about this bill that it not only looks forward to sort of future purchases, which most of these bills only focus on new purchases, uh, what we did in this bill is that we, you know, looked backwards uh, as well uh, at our, you know, current fleet of trucks and uh, mandated that they all run on the uh, ultra-low sulfur diesel, which would allow them to be uh, uh, retrofitted with the uh, most advanced uh, uh, pollution reduction devices. And, and it and is our you know, hope that uh, this will you know, spill over into the private sector and that folks that run you know, private vehicle fleets will um, uh, you know, see what New York City is doing and, uh, and, 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 uh, and follow suit. Anthony, you want to add on to that? Yeah, you know, 
we have a lot of these answers right now. I mean, we have a great subway system. It's getting people to use it, you know, and, and, and the mass transportation that we've developed, you know, over the last century. It's it's just an awesome system. You know, you got to get people in there. You got to encourage it. Maybe you lower subway rates, you know, maybe you impose tolls so that people don't drive in town. Um, you know, Los Angeles recently uh, made it illegal for the large um, – uh, shipping, uh, shipping container ships not to idle in 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 the uh, in the harbor. We can do stuff like that. Aircraft landing at the airports could force them to start to reduce their their emissions. Um, you know, there was another great movie uh, out this year. Who killed the electric car? Electric vehicles are a great option. Many people never talk about those anymore. It's always hybrids, but the average American isn't driving any more than 35 miles round trip every single day. Average electric car gets 120 mile round trip on on single charge. These things are going to come around and people are going to get them and people are going to make money and and they're going to be viable alternatives very soon. Councilman, let me ask you this question because a lot of this does boil down to changing personal behavior and some of it boils down to legislation. I would imagine that's a fine line that you often have to walk. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, you, you want to encourage people to to uh, you know do what they uh, want to do. You 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 you've got to use some uh, you know, carrot. You you know try to avoid the sticks like where you can. But uh, I I think you want to have the city itself uh, you know doing everything that that uh, you know it can possibly do. Uh, you know, within its own realm. Tria, let me ask you, what do you think should be law that's not? Should we be required to buy certain appliances, to drive certain cars? Well, I tend to agree with the councilman on, on using carrots and not sticks where possible. Um, so, so I would love to see uh, more incentives where, where possible to, to encourage people to use uh, alternatives, including tax credits and, and, uh, and other uh, you know, creative mechanisms. I would love to see us uh, make it easier for um, our, our government entities to adopt energy efficiency and renewable energy technologies, whether it be creating revolving funds or, or simply um, making procurement policies that are a little stronger. But, but all in all, I think we can achieve what we need by, by uh, providing encouragement rather than creating laws that, that, that uh, regulate it. Tria Case, the executive director of the Center for Sustainable Energy here in the Bronx. Tria, thank you. Thank you. I also want to thank Anthony Pereira, the president and CEO of Alt Power. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. And New York City Councilman James Gennaro, chair of the Environmental Protection Committee. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Cityscape from 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. In music and the movies, New York City rooftops are often depicted as comforting or romantic places. But today, the city's rooftops are providing another benefit. They're helping to save building owners on their heating and cooling costs, as well as aiding in the prevention of stormwater runoff. How can a rooftop do that, you ask? Well, not just any rooftop can. You have to create one that can get the job done. They're called green roofs, building tops covered with a layer of soil and foliage. Pace University is working to develop a 32,000-square-foot green roof at its lower Manhattan campus. I recently went down there to learn more about it. My name is Mike Lewandowski. I'm on the faculty at Pace and the Haskins Laboratories at Pace. Uh, I'm a biologist, and uh, I've gotten involved with the Green Roof. I'm the one who does most of the day-to-day research here, along with some students and interns. 
it's uh, customary to sort of think of two different kinds of green risk. One is the intensive, which intensive means it takes a lot of work and takes a fair amount of money. And that would be where you take uh, ordinary soil or garden soil, you know, loam or something, and, and make about two feet of soil or more on top of the roof. And many roofs wouldn't stand that kind of weight, particularly when it gets wet. Uh, and also it's expensive and it takes a lot of maintenance because it's a garden there. And, and that can be very effective, but that's not what we're planning here. The, the other kind of uh, green roof or category is the extensive kind, and that's what we have in mind. And the extensive kind is not a natural uh, phenomenon. It's, it's an engineered kind of vegetation. Let me just sort of point out, there's, there's several layers. There's this layer of growth medium, gravel and compost. Underneath that is a kind of fabric which is supposed to filter out the very fine particles so that they don't get into the system and they're, they're retained. Under that is, uh, in this particular uh, system, there, there are a number of proprietary systems that exist, but they're all fairly similar. The, under, under that is a sort of a plastic, uh, it looks like an egg crate kind of construction, uh, and that holds water, uh, so it tends to uh, uh, help with the water retention and also the problem of moisture for the plants. Uh, under that, um, the next layer, where are we? Um, yeah. Under that is, is a, uh, a kind of a sponge-like thing which soaks up water. Uh, so in this particular system, which is a proprietary system developed in Germany, it's uh, that serves as yet another reservoir of, of water. And then uh, underneath it all is a layer of plastic which uh, roots will not penetrate. Roots, are, roots can go through asphalt and sometimes concrete, but they don't like this particular kind of plastic. So this serves as a root barrier so that roots will not grow down uh, and puncture the membrane of the roof itself, causing leaks. And that, of course, would be a disaster. And that's it. That's the soil that the plants have to grow in. And many plants wouldn't grow in that. The ones that do, uh, typically you have a lot of succulents that can, that can sort of take care of themselves. They can live off the rain and not have to be watered or, and they don't have to be cultivated and, and all the rest of the sort of thing that gardeners do. Uh, so it's a, it's a gardener-free system if it works. And it, uh, well, it some maintenance once a year or so and you have to keep an eye on it. But basically, you use plants that, in nature, their natural habitat is growing on rocks, such as sedum, which is a succulent plant that's used in rock gardens. Things that grow in rock gardens are good for green roofs often. The city is interested in the water uh, uh, mitigation aspect, you know, the, the sort of runoff is, is mitigated. Uh, but uh, also, when you cover a roof with a layer of uh, substance, that increases the insulation. And so in the wintertime, for example, it helps with the heating. And indeed, uh, our little patch of green roof will often have snow on it long after the uh, snow is melted on the rest of the roof. So that would indicate that it is acting as, a, as an, an insulator. Uh, I'm using an infrared sensor to measure the surface uh, temperature of the roof and also of the little patch of uh, green roof. Uh, medium and plants. The roof itself right now, it's sort of cold and, and it's uh, around 9 degrees Celsius, 8 or 9 degrees uh, right here. And now the patch of uh, green roof is about 4 degrees Celsius, so it's substantially uh, 4 to 5. 
is substantially cooler, and that would indicate that you know heat is escaping through the roof, but uh, the little patch of green roof is insulating a bit, and so it's not so much as you know, not so much as escaping there. Uh, in the summertime, it's it's also an insulator, so air conditioning and, and is is lessened by much more than an insulator in the summer, because the plants are living things and they transpire. So this evapotranspiration, they're they're actually a kind of a an air conditioning unit, if you like. That's how you condition air often is by by evaporating water or some other fluid. So what they're doing is taking liquid water and and from their leaves, it emerges as vapor, and that takes up heat. So they actually are actively cooling the roof, and that's that can be a major effect in some cases. And I suspect here, New York has a lot of flat roofs. I mean, you, if you you can do some back of the envelope calculations about the percentage of uh, horizontal space in, say, Manhattan that is that consists of roof space. And you know, it's it's substantial. It's substantial, and, and I don't know how many. Uh, Residences would put in green roofs, but some have already, and it's 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 a growing uh, interest in in Europe. It's it's old hat by now, particularly in, in uh, the continental part of Europe. But uh, but here it's it's something new, and it'll take a while. Uh, people who are you know buildings experts, uh, contractors, and and so on, engineers, uh, it takes a while to sort of absorb a new point of view. And I've had reactions from really fine experts saying, well, you're going to start growing plants up there? Are you crazy? Or, you know, I mean, it does sound weird to, to people who, you know, think in terms of, of roofing, uh, but it's, it works. Professor Michael Lewandowski is working to build a sprawling green roof at Pace University's Lower Manhattan campus. That brings us to the close of our energy-focused show. Thanks for listening. We hope you've learned something, and maybe you've picked up a few tips on how to be more energy efficient. Have a great weekend. Here's hoping you get a chance to recharge your batteries. Remember, you can always find archived versions of Cityscape and the Cityscape podcast at WFUV.org. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Jody Avergan. Take care.